Hi, David Mendes here, and I want to welcome you to this first episode of Season 4 of Papa PhD. This week, I'm bringing you a very, very special guest I believe you will appreciate and whose work I recommend you follow. So buckle up for some real talk about the PhD and about the question of whether you're a sellout if you leave academia. You know, academia is a pretty hierarchical culture uh, where you as a grad student are, you know, closer to the bottom of that hierarchy and the vibe you're getting, even if not outright um, messaging that you're getting, although sometimes it can be outright messaging, but if the vibe that you're getting from them is like, oh, it's such a shame, what a waste, uh, you know, it's too bad, you do such excellent work, all these things which, which kind of sound innocent, but they're very morally value-laden, right? They're, they're very heavy, they're, they have an emotional weight to them. And it becomes really challenging for the student who has been in a system where they've, you know, probably in some ways looked up to their mentor, quote unquote. Um, they're feeling very vulnerable in, in lots of different ways. It becomes real difficult uh, to do that true career exploration, that true personal exploration and discovery to figure out what would suit you when you've kind of eliminated almost all the options right off the bat as being morally suspect, you know, ethically uh, negative, you know, are you a failure? Are you, are you considering selling out? Does the only thing you care about money? Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today I have the great, great pleasure of having with me Jennifer Polk. Jen Polk is a career coach and educator. In addition to her work with individuals, she reg regularly facilitates professional development workshops and delivers presentations for graduate students and postdocs. Jen currently serves on the board of director of CAGS, the Canadian Association for Graduate Studies. She earned her PhD in history from the University of Toronto. If you visit her website from PhD to Life, you'll be able to read her writing and learn more about her other services and activities, always around this question of figuring out the post-PhD career conundrum. Welcome to Papa PhD, Jen. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Yay, finally. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you know, when I started this, you were already, for me, in the constellation of PhD career people out there. And so it always felt like, no, um, it's, I, you know, I'm not in the position to invite her, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I, I'm super thankful that you actually, you know, you, in a conversation, you said, no, no sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. And now we're here having this conversation and I'm really honored. And uh, <laughs> so it took some time, but also, you know what, now you're like episode one of season four. So it's, uh, it's, it's special for you too. <laughs> yeah, love it. So, Jen, uh, for people who uh, who um, don't know you, you know, because it's true that you know you uh, you have you're known in the in this in this space, but maybe and and probably some listeners of Papa PhD won't have heard of Jen Polk. Um, can you tell tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself? You know, paint a little wider picture of who Jen Polk is apart from what I just mentioned. Yeah, so the the I'll, I'll start narrow. 
Yep. And the the narrow sentence is that I help PhDs uh, get clear on their career path. So figure out, you know, what direction they want to go in uh, so that they can then confidently market themselves for jobs they actually want. Uh, so, yeah, that's the narrow bit. Um, but I'm, I'm all over this topic of, of what happens after a PhD. Um, and, and although my own uh, academic background is in history, historical scholarship, I finished 10 years ago. Uh, and, and since then, I'm engaged in these conversations. Of, of PhD students and postdocs and academia uh, writ large um, across all kinds of disciplines, uh, you know, all over the world, although, you know, primarily U.S. and Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's actually really exciting for me. Uh, to, to, I've learned so much more about all of this stuff uh, after uh, my PhD. Um, and I'm self-employed. And you already mentioned my business name from PhD to life. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I live in Toronto and I have my cat, <laughs> Izzy. And if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, I'm I'm fiddling here because something I should have done before, but this has been a busy day. I'm going to do something, some StreamYard magic here and do this. Boom. From PhD to life.com and at from PhD to life. So easy. It's the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, not with that name. And uh, you can find me, Jennifer Pogue, uh, comma, PhD on LinkedIn. Uh, and I've got a Facebook page as well with that's also from PhD to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's interesting that um, what, what you mentioned about growing what you knew about this question after uh, your PhD. And of course, it, it's been the same with me. Like, each conversation widens my my knowledge of people's stories, of uh, people's common um, fears, common uh, uh, blind spots, and it and uh, I, I you know I understand how how that might have uh, ha- happened on your side too. But um, one thing that uh, that I might want to uh, to to ask to bring us to your journey is. Uh, Maybe just to ask that question of what drew you to go for a PhD in the first place? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's there's lots of ways to answer that question. Um, so so one version that is true, <laughs> there's lots of true ways to answer mm-hmm. that question. Uh, but one true story is that I... I did a master's degree in history, and that's very common in Canada to do you know, a separate MA uh, before a PhD. It's almost required. Mm-hmm. Uh, up here. Um, so I, I did a two-year MA. It had a thesis component. So I did archival research okay. and, you know, wrote a long thing. You, you can't see me, but if I move slightly, you can see the red book on my shelf behind my shoulder <laughs> this way. Oh, I see it. I see yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The red one. Um, and that was that was the best thing I'd ever done. It was the most challenging thing I'd ever done and the most rewarding. Okay. So I was so excited to keep going, uh, to enter into a PhD program and to shift my topic slightly um, and to work with a world famous you know, scholar whose books mm-hmm. you could buy in airports and, you know, oh, bookstore, wow. you know, just regular person bookstores. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so I was really excited. So, you know, that's certainly I mean, there's you know, I could go on and on and on. But I think that's that is a true that is a true story to tell. I was really yeah. thrilled to start a PhD. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, for you, wh- when when did the realization 
uh, come of, um, okay, I, I did this PhD or I'm finishing this PhD, but first I'm not sure I want to go for a postdoc. Um, not, you know, we, and then that has the ramifications that we know. And then what's out there for me? What was that juncture like for you? Yeah, so there are postdocs in history and humanities disciplines, um, but it's actually really common. I think it's more common for folks to go straight into assistant professor positions. I okay. mean, if, if they get them. So um, I think there was there was no moment where I was like, no, I don't want this. But it was more. There were points where I reflected on things that I had and hadn't done in the past, and. Mm-hmm. When I when I remembered those experiences, when I reflected upon them, it was like, oh, that's telling, right? And if mm-hmm. I added up all of those reflections, it was sort of like, hmm, <laughs> you know, maybe this is telling me something. So I'm being, let me say specifically some examples here. Yeah. So um, as I was getting ready to defend uh, my my dissertation. I was supposed to submit, supposed to submit, all I had to do was write 150 words. And because I, I was going to be part of a roundtable mm-hmm. with other scholars, we were all really junior folks. Um, and finally, we were going to all be at a conference together, uh, presenting on really a, a kind of a new subfield um, that we were okay. all part of. And so, and this was a conference that I'd been to previously, I'd presented at previously. And so that it all of the things pointed to yes, awesome, this is exciting, mm-hmm. and all I needed to do was write 150 words, and I just <laughs> written an entire dissertation, right? Like I was ready to defend it in a month or two. Mm-hmm. This 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 was easy. I could not make myself do it. Mm-hmm. I could not make myself do it, and I didn't end up doing it. I withdrew. Uh, so that's an example of of one of those moments where it wasn't in the moment where I was like, that's it, I'm done. But it was later looking back where I was like, oh. <laughs> that's <laughs> right? what was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. there were things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't apply for postdocs, you know, that fall. I had put that off. Right? I didn't apply. I was like, oh, I'll just do it after I defend. And, you know, it just never happened, right? Yeah. Um, and at a certain point I was like, well, like, okay hmm (laughs) maybe i'm not actually that keen on this maybe i want to explore other things i don't Mm -hmm. know what else is out there but maybe there could be something that would suit Mm -hmm. me Uh, one thing that's very important to me or that that's really uh, telling and and that resonates with me a lot in what you said even before you gave the the exact example that you gave that you said some things happened that I then looking back felt that that they were they were telling and they they should have kind of foreshadowed what I had then uh, realized later on and I do think that there's so much or there can be so much um discourse that you get from the outside say no this is this is the way to go this is what this is what you need to do this is the timeline to to follow that often people might end up not listening to themselves. And it could be not, like you said, not being able to write 150 words, which was, you know, you could, of course, do it with the blindfolded, whatever. Uh, but it could be physical. You could, you know, if you know, thinking about, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, submitting for uh, or applying for a postdoc, it could give you a stomachache. I don't know. It, can, it could uh, declare itself in different ways. And I do think that this this thing of 
what are your feelings telling you when no one's sending you messaging and 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 sending you uh, uh you know um you know calls to action to this or that and um i don't know i don't know if um i don't have a maybe you do uh you know a, a an exercise or a, a way to kind of dampen the messaging from outside and to be able to be in the space of okay i'm going to listen just to myself now and that's going to tell me what to decide is this something you've approached with some of your trainees or mentees yeah thanks for asking that it it's i mean a big part of my work with clients um you know often people hear about what i do and they think oh she helps people uh write resumes uh right or maybe helps people like find jobs you know tell them what job titles they should look for and that's i mean not no actually <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe sometimes you know i have suggestions whatever but actually really important to my work is um giving space providing a space for folks to really get in touch with themselves um and that sounds like a bit silly and life coachy but it's actually super important because exactly as you say there's these constant you know messages and narratives you know this culture that we live and breathe you know we the Kool-Aid that we've all drunk right to use mm -hmm. that that expression um and it's kind of shocking actually but to take a a step back and say oh actually what do i value what is important to me what do mm -hmm. i want um those are the real beginning of a job search, even though you would never, most people wouldn't think that those were part of a job search, but that's mm -hmm. the foundation of a job search. Um, and I know, you know, we, we scoff at universities giving mindfulness training and uh, there's reasons why we scoff for that, right? Because that's not yeah. a solution to the systemic problems, but it, <laughs> it can be part of the solution for each, for an individual person. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, you know, if I'm, if I can say that, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Anything that brings you closer to to your core should or might help. But um, but I think w what you said in in what you offer is interesting, and and I know that you do some group um, group sessions, group discussion sessions. I've been in one, and then with the, with the subjects, and it's really interesting. And I imagine that doing that with other people, there's a little plus to that. You know, being in the safe space with other people that are also figuring things out and uh, and questioning things that they hadn't before in the safe space, you must have witnessed aha moments of different people in the groups that you that you coach and that you mentor. Let's say, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I think a lot of people um, are nervous about the idea of a group coaching. Uh, you know, there's other group uh, contexts. The one you were on was not a group. Kind of coaching context, uh, but I think there can be some nervousness around that. Um, uh, but I've experienced over and over again that actually, yeah, it's really incredible um, the group experience because other people inevitably, inevitably have experiences that will resonate with your own, even if you're in, you know, you're doing quite different things. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's it. It reminds me of the value of community, which I think is also what you're talking about here yes. is yes. community is so important and it's something that 
I think academia in general doesn't value as much. Um, you know, I speaking, you know, writ large, uh, there might mm-hmm. be some pockets of it for sure. Um, and a lot of uh, students are feeling really isolated in programs. Um, even, even folks that that would surprise you about, you know, people that mm-hmm. work in labs, you would think in busy research groups, but mm-hmm. they, you know, depending on the situation can also feel really isolated. It's true. And it's funny, I, I've heard you hear in other contexts talk talk about this thing of rugged individuality. And in my experience, uh, in, in in my PhD experience, I feel that that was kind of the culture that was that was uh, promoted in a way. So yes, you're in, in a group. Yes, you're in a, a research group. But um, you're expected to be this rugged individual. And, and, um, and of course, you know, your your PhD your thesis needs to be your work. That's there's no question there. But uh, it's funny. I made a video about that. How I believe that you, you should a PhD should be a village in a in a certain way. You know how they say it takes a village to raise a child. I think you know between mentors, between peers in other domains, uh, uh, you know, uh, coaches and it, whatever enriches and and um, uncovers blind spots as you go is going to be helpful and also security nets like emotional security nets mental health security nets etc cetera, etc cetera. super super important mm-hmm. yeah absolutely this mm-hmm. there's the mythology of the lone scholar in an ivory tower <laughs> is like not borne out by reality no there maybe you go. the mathematicians i'm not sure but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Uh, Jen, on your on your website, there's a lot. There's content. There's the different types of support you offer. You're very very uh, generous of your time. You chose a path of being with people to help them directly, and which I, I really admire, and I think is um, is very um, reassuring to have the person with you versus watching a video or whatever. Um, and and I'm not saying I'm not I don't know all that you offer. And you might have some pre-recorded stuff, but I know that a lot of what you do is one-on-ones and groups, and and you're there with them. And I I really really like that. Um, so yeah, so from PhD to Life dot com, you can you can go there. You can also follow her on Twitter at from PhD to Life. Now, why why we're here today is because you brought me this question. Uh, which I was like, oh my God, yes, we need to talk about this. <laughs> which is uh, the question of, are you a sellout if you leave academia after your PhD? And um, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a question that's looming and that, that's out there in the, in the ether and that affects people. And I'm thinking of, of myself, I didn't have role models like in my family who had gone to know through higher education until until the phd so everything was new to me and i i you know i i didn't know uh i didn't have examples so because i didn't have examples of people who had gone up to there i didn't have examples who have transitioned to there to something else so of course there there was there was this sense of maybe the word is betrayal in a way, and I remember having questions. It's like, oh, well, but you studied all these years, and now you're leaving. Does what sense does it make? And like, like, uh, and even like, so all the scholarships that you received is isn't it, isn't it unfair that now you're just going and doing something else? So this is a question that you've you've heard and, and that you know is out there too, right? 
Definitely. And it's one that I experienced for myself. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I lived that question for sure. It's uh, I think it's not every single person will resonate with it. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, as you say, it is in the ether. Uh, and mm -hmm. and I think enough people experience it in enough, enough of it anyways, uh, that they'll know what we mean. Yeah. And so how can this question affect negatively the, the 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 power of decision like the agency of a young researcher who wants to to decide to take a decision on their career without any guilt without any negative emotions you know yeah so of course i'm speaking generally um, <laughs> always, uh, don't at me, <laughs> as people say on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, academia is a pretty hierarchical culture, uh, where you as a grad student are, uh, you know, closer to the bottom of that mm -hmm. hierarchy and the vibe, the vibe you're getting, it, even if outright even if not outright um, messaging that you're getting, although sometimes it can be outright messaging, mm -hmm. but if the vibe that you're getting from them is like, oh, it's such a shame, what a waste, uh, you know, it's too bad, you do such excellent work, you know, right? Like <laughs> all these things which which kind of sound innocent, but they're very morally value laden right they're, they're very heavy they're they have an mm -hmm. emotional weight to them mm -hmm. and it becomes really challenging for the student who has been in a system where they've you know probably in some ways looked up to their mentor quote unquote um they're feeling very vulnerable in in lots of different ways mm -hmm. um it becomes real difficult uh to do that true career exploration that true personal exploration and discovery uh to figure out what would suit you when mm -hmm. you've kind of eliminated almost all the options right off the bat as being morally suspect you know ethically uh negative yeah, all the way uh, to a failure yeah, you know, are you a failure? Are you are you considering selling out? Is the only thing you care about money? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about. You just said money, and and you know, it's really a weird conversation sometimes to have. And I've seen recently like conversations about, uh, you know, money shouldn't be uh, top of mind if you're going to a P to do a PhD, because uh, this thing of selling out just the word selling out so it's kind of you're being bribed from uh, this big bad wolf to leave the, the 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 straight path and people need to live and pay bills and pay debts if they have debts so maybe in your group uh, sessions or maybe just in your reflection and in preparing materials have you approached this question of uh how skewed or valuation of our time as phd researchers is and how we kind of need to reframe it mm -hmm. and and kind of uh, um, advocate for ourselves and say yes i deserve to aspire to a, a job that allows me to have this and this and build a family and that and that if they yeah. if you want a family <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a really messed up thing um, and and profs on Twitter, grad students sometimes on Twitter will say things outright like, "Oh, I don't do this for the money." <laughs> I've, I mean, I've seen exactly do, that two days ago. 
right yeah like i'm you know we're not making it up and I, it makes me burst out laughing like you just experienced but they they're serious about it uh, but they're not thinking critically about it mm-hmm. because of course the money matters of course the money matters if you're a professor you get paid you wouldn't do this if you got paid if you if you're a grad student unless you're you know unless you're the magical top 0.0 whatever percent <laughs> You, you you need to pay or or you're living off your spouse or your parents who are getting paid and they are financially subsidizing you. So money is always around. Mm-hmm. You need funding to do your experiments, et cetera. Anyways, I, I'm <laughs> all of the scoffing and the eye rolling. It's very silly. It's very silly. It's very silly. And they because there's this sense that academia and the university is somehow removed from capitalism that 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 everybody else is kind of in the muck is sullied but but we are pure over here right we're pure we're separate again it's this ivory tower on a hill mentality and it's just silliness it's mm-hmm. just total silliness because universities have universities are giant corporations so many of them for tax purposes are nonprofit corporations but it's a tax status. It's not a you know a moral ranking, <laughs> right? I, I totally agree with you, and it, it's interesting uh, what you said about you know, maybe your parents are subsidizing you, et cetera, et cetera. And that's and, fine uh, if they are, but like, let's be real about the situation. Yeah, someone is someone is bankrolling, <laughs> you know, the, the the thing, and it, it you know you 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 hit the the nail on the head uh, with what you just shared. Uh, but let's say. Our listeners are mid PhD, I don't know, third year, fourth year, and um, we wanted to, uh, like, in these like ten ish minutes that that that, uh, that are left of, of our conversation, we wanted to awaken them, awaken in them the a kind of uh, sense of uh, what my time is worth, because one of the things that I felt at least during PhD was that I needed to not value my time like value my time at zero why why am i saying this because i was asked to or or expected or i put myself also on myself the the expectation to do the things you know no matter what time it needed to you know what time was needed what amount of time was needed to do them and at what time because let's say christmas uh, time is worth more, let's say, and but you know the, mou- the mice are born on Christmas, so I need to go take care of them on Christmas Day, and etc. 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 How how can we prepare people who are at this at that middle middle section, let's say, of the PhD, to say, okay, you have three years to understand that you need to think about your time differently. Because once you're going to be um, looking for a position and interviewing for a job, they're going to be evaluating. They're they're going to be putting a value on on your time. And if you your tendency is to really undervalue your time, you might accept a salary that's below what you deserve. For example, I don't know if you understand the problematic that I'm trying to bring here. I think so. Yeah, and. And for me, it's not just that you might accept a lower salary than you might get, um, but has you know broader implications for what kind of job you should get, and you mm-hmm. know all of the all of that. So, so my advice to that person would be to do some career exploration. What does that mean? 
Well, okay. First, I think it would be to get right in your own mind about, you know, academic culture and what are the messages that in your own mind and maybe swirling around you, you know, from other people, uh, right? So, so what is going on in your own mind in terms of thoughts and emotions? Um, and in particular around this, this, this assumed binary, you know, that one that, you know, we can impose, uh, rightly or wrongly about academia versus non-academic, right? You know, mm-hmm. just, just, just get clear about all of that stuff that's going on. Then you want to do some self-reflection. For example, what do you value? What are your top values? And you can go and Google, you know, what are some values, <laughs> right? You can find a list. But really, you know, I, I do mean to ask it with and have you not do any research just to reflect for yourself. Okay, what do I value? What's important to me? Uh, what allows for me to thrive? Um, here's a question that I love asking folks. Um, what are you doing when you're feeling most energized? <laughs> Right. Any time of, you know, any time of your life, right. It can be young, old, whatever, you know, yesterday, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. any context, grad school context, something totally beyond hobbies, family life, whatever. What are you doing when you're feeling most energized? Mm. And don't say teaching. <laughs> don't say <laughs> research. I mean, if that's the first thing that comes to mind, okay, more, more specifically, what parts of teaching, what parts of research? Okay, more specifically, right. I want you to really mm-hmm. drill down into specific moments and answer that question multiple times. Then you start to get a real picture of who you are in the world when you're at your best. What are the situations that allow for you to be like really you, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? To kind of like take up space in the world, but, you know, in a good way, right? (laughs) Not in a bad (laughs) way. So anyways, all that self-reflection and you can, you can marry that kind of self-reflection with the more kind of hard-headed stuff. Like what are my skills and, you know, what software do I know how to use? You know, all of that stuff too, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, You might want to write a resume you know, it'll be a crappy first draft, but, you know, just make sure that you have an accounting of everything. Mm-hmm. So not just an academic CV, but actual resume. So not only academic accomplishments and achievements, but all of the stuff that you've done. Um, you, you won't show it to anybody, but, you know, just just to have a very long, I call this an everything resume, a very <laughs> long document that is for your eyes only. All right. Mm-hmm. So kind of get right in your mind, the self-reflection piece. And then the third uh, step that I would recommend is to go and do research about what's out there. Now, I acknowledge at this point, yeah, you're still in a PhD program. You're still, you know, going to the archives, doing your experiments, writing your chapters, right? Continue that. So I'm not suggesting that you stop. Mm -hmm. As you continue to do all of that, go and research what's out there. Yes, you can read job ad postings. You can read LinkedIn pages of companies. You can listen to podcast episodes, right? With, mm-hmm, with interviews mm-hmm. of people doing different jobs. But, and this is the important part, do some informational interviews. Mm, I think that yes. is really, really key. Why I don't start with that is I want you to get some grounding in who you are first. Of course. Right? So that you can kind of make some determinations ahead of time and you can go into uh, the informational interviews with less. Uh, worry about shiny object syndrome, let's call it. (laughs) If you're me, you do an informational interview and you get like super excited if the person you're talking to is excited and you want to do their job. But if, right? But, you know, that's why it's important to have done some foundational work so that, right, you don't... (laughs) 
informational interviews. We can talk more about that if you want, but just Google informational interviews. And then I think at that point, you might make some adjustments to your own PhD work. You can mm-hmm. figure out like, oh, can I do more of this, less of this? Maybe I want to alter this chapter in this way so that it can showcase more of my skills in that. Can I ask my PI for professional development funding to go and do this conference instead of that one? Mm-hmm. Starts to get really exciting here, right? Um, so then, and again, this is not just about the money at all, but finishing your PhD really clear about what direction you want to take your career in, having by without even really trying, having built an awesome network of people that kind of know what you're all about and what you're mm-hmm. looking for and who want to help you out. And when you graduate and by the time you want a job, you can start really searching and hopefully quickly be mm-hmm. in the right place. Mm-hmm. Very and, organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yes, it takes work. But this is work that, you know, you've spent a few years on the side while you're doing everything else. And it's all kind of nicely integrated because none of that stuff is like in conflict at all mm-hmm. with continuing to be a grad student. Does all that make sense? It does make sense. But uh, I, I, but, I would, yeah, no, no, <laughs> it, it totally makes sense to me. And it really it aligns 100% with how I feel about this and, and the, the type of recommendations I, I give. But um, when I say um, you are trained or you're, well, let's say trained to not, value your time too much and to and to kind of become this monk or this nun right like and that your soul belongs to the monastery and then you know there's there's no me time and all that you've been saying takes me time when do i you know look when i do introspection in me time when do i um do i do uh, informational interviews in me time and again depending on your relationship with your pi depending on your type of personality you might you might um, approach me time as kind of uh, um, how do you say when you you know when you when you skip school as skipping school. <laughs> yes. And I don't. And I want to find a way to, to tell people it's not skipping school. And you kind of said it. You said all of this that you're doing is going to pollinize your PhD too. And I think that's maybe the. I don't know. I don't know if you, uh, we can find a, a better way to encapsulate it. And I think you said it or you described it, but don't take me time for introspection and for career exploration as skipping school. And that—that's the first bit. To, I am not expressing it very well, but of getting right in your own mind of identifying. Mm-hmm. Those those academic gremlins, that those negative, right? That negative self talk, those narratives, right? That that's where you want to, because those beasts, those little assholes, they are gonna <laughs> they're gonna keep coming. But if you've already identified them, uh, and if you've already kind of come up with tools to deal with them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and some talk back, <laughs> um, <laughs> then you'd be like, "Oh shit, that's that little asshole." That one. <laughs> I love the the gremlins expression. I really love it. <laughs> I'm going to steal it if you allow. <laughs> it's it's I'm I'm borrowing it from uh, from other people too. Yeah, academic go. gremlins. I always call these. I love and, it. And they're not just academic gremlins too, right? I think they're they're ones that come from culture. You know, different people with different p- positionality have their own. You know, all these sorts of gremlins and narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. And more generally in our culture, you know, oh, I'm an introvert and therefore I can't. I'm bad at networking. I could never have my own business. You know, mm-hmm. all, all of this, uh, yeah, all of this kind of BS. <laughs> 
I say lovingly, right? It's lovingly, yeah. And what I totally agree with you. And you kind of need to know your your gremlins to to then tame them, right? And the, what is it? You can't give them food after midnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so but, let me wrap this all up. Um, go, go uh, for it. Because I was, I also kind of, I wanted to look back to what you offer. But, but go ahead. I'll let you wrap up. Yeah. Then... No, I think we're we're doing the same thing here. So, so all of that that I've just described. Um, let me give it labels. Um, mm-hmm. So I've described a four-step process, and I call that the PhD Career Clarity uh, System, mm-hmm. PhD Career Clarity System, and it's prepare for action, and and that's you know often the mindset stuff. Uh-huh, um, yes. Put it simply, so prepare for action, focus on yourself. That's the self-reflection piece, doing the everything resume, etc. Uh, identify possibilities. That's when you do the research, informational interviews, et cetera. You, mm-hmm. you know, do you have any gaps? Do you need more training? Whatever. Then markets to employers. You can't see my fingers, but that, that's the four stages. And the, mm-hmm. you know, a reminder here to folks that market to employers, when you write an actual resume for a job ad, when you write cover letters, when you worry about your LinkedIn profile, if, if you should be doing that, all of that, that's step four. Mm-hmm. It ain't mm-hmm. step one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I I totally agree. And the thing that I, that I would add to that is because you know a PhD. Uh, well, depending on where people are listening from, but around the world can be from three to seven years, whatever. Um, but I, what I always suggest is if you can start this. You know, I know year one it's difficult. You're starting. It's magical. Uh, but year two, you know, the earlier you can start, the better. And one of the reasons that I say that I that I usually say is you. If you go have your first informational interview when you're already like hunger hungry for a job, it's not going to be a good informational interview. It's you no know, the the people are going to smell it. It's going to be transactional. You want something, and so anyway, I don't know if you have a if you have something to 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 say on on that on the temporality of when to start doing these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, every single person is going to have to figure out their own like really specific job search strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ideally, I, I'm with you. You should start early. Um, ideally. Yeah. Um, ideally, yeah. But if you, you know, if for life happens, we get it. You know, some people need to just get a job, any job. Um, there's always time at that point, once you've got your basic needs met and you have some headspace for this stuff to say, okay. Let me take a step back, you know, mentally, psychologically, and my next position, I want to get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, full respect for people, you know, doing what they need to do. Oh, yeah. Um, the ideal sometimes has to wait. <laughs> yeah, patience. I also, I also always recommend patience uh, and, and, and maybe going for something not as ideal first. And yeah. and have it be a stepping stone for the next, uh, the next yeah. one. The, the thing where I wanted to loop back to you is... All of this work that Jen is talking about, these four, these four steps, they might be difficult uh, doing on your own. And you can find, you can, I think you'd gain by uh, creating a small group of like-minded uh, young researchers who are having the same questions and be um, accountability partners for each other. But then you also have, and because Jen is here today, people like Jen with From PhD to Life who foster these discussions, discussion groups? Not all of them are coaching. The one that I was was we were just talk discussing about. Uh, I think it was community community building. Uh, but you know, if you find where in this 
universe of uh, internet or campus, where is this safe space where you can have these conversations and not go it alone? Because I think it's going to help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I would say for folks that are still grad students or if postdocs have access to resources on campus, please take advantage of that stuff. You know, check that out first, right? You you kind of paid for it already <laughs> with yes. your fees and, you know, or your PI did with the you know, tuition payments, whatever it is. And once um, you're done, advantage. they're gone. They, yep, probably they are. Um, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I have a resource for folks. I have a free resource, uh, that goes into more details about the PhD curricularity system and about more of the pitfalls, uh, mm -hmm. that I see people come up against over and over again that will also introduce you to my, uh, paid, uh, PhD curricularity program. So if you're at all interested in this, I'd love to hear from you, mm -hmm. uh, and for you to join, uh, no pressure though. How do they, uh, reach out to you to ask these questions? What's the best way? Yeah, absolutely. So often the best place for people to start is uh, my free resource. Uh, if you go to my website from phdlife.com, you'll find that. I tweet okay. about it every day. It's on my LinkedIn. It's not, you can find it. Right. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, but I'm always happy to get emails, jen at j-e-n at from phdlife.com. Uh, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. <laughs> you know, if I don't Perfect. respond, my email is a mess. <laughs> try me again <laughs> right? uh, yes and uh, and um, yeah so what i'll do jen is i'll take all these links and put them in the show notes so that people can click them and go uh, and go land on your uh, your home your home page and then find all of all of that jen this has been a really great pleasure um these are not easy subjects but it was fun discussing it discussing them with you um and uh And I think, uh, you know, some of them are, are actually quite sensitive. This is like question of pay and money. And and I think it's it's important to talk more about them. And uh, and also, yeah, in a, in a light way, I don't, I don't think we, we went too dark on anything. Uh, but I think we did cover all the terrain that I was expecting and that I was hoping for. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having been on Papa PhD. And anything we miss, I can come back for season five. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> and and also, if you if there's questions uh, that that we, you think we left out, you who are watching or listening, just drop them in the comments. Send an email to Jen or me, or or, or a DM on our Twitter. It'll be a pleasure to follow up the conversation. It's this is what it's all about. Uh, the, the podcast is starting conversation. So. You know, uh, I, I'm sure uh, Jen will agree that uh, she'll be more than glad to receive more questions based on what we talked during this short uh, 40-ish minutes. Thank you, David, and thank you to your listeners. And congratulations on season four. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you.